This is The Catholic Current with Father Robert Mateig. People bandying about signs that said, you know, no justice, no peace. And I said, well, then we're going to have a problem. The justice that we want, we can't possibly have by our own will or by our own legislation. This is how the secularists get things exactly back to front, you know, saying no justice, no peace. Well, there will be no justice until there is peace in our hearts. So in other words, we have to begin with the peace who is Jesus Christ. Praise be Jesus Christ. This is Father Robert McTague of the Society of Jesus, your daily host for the Catholic Current, where we bring Christ to the world and the world to Christ. You're listening to us from the Station of the Cross Studios, your local radio station, and the iCatholic Radio mobile app. We proclaim the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. As always, let's start with prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Almighty God, through the intercession of St. Ignatius Loyola, we ask that you pour forth your Holy Spirit upon us, a spirit of discernment, that may hear your voice and obey your command. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, friends, it is July 31st. Happy Feast of St. Ignatius Loyola to everyone. St. Ignatius, pray for us. Want to ask a hard question, is moral blindness contagious? If the answer is yes, we're in trouble. Uh, to help me address that question is a favorite among our listeners and a great friend of the show. She is a, an author and a political and cultural commentator who produces some amazing videos about uh, cultural struggles and the decline of the West. Uh, she's better known as a crusader gal, and we're going to be linking to all her good work. Sarah Kane, welcome back to The Catholic Current. Thank you, Father. It's always a pleasure. Sarah, you recently had an article in Crisis Magazine called The Moral Cowardice of Ignoring Trans Adults, and you outline a dynamic that we've all seen very often. Well, we're going to have this line in the sand, but no farther. Okay, well, we crossed that line, but this line. So, you know, for example, you know, homosexuals just want to be left alone. Well, you can have civil unions, but don't call it marriage. Well, marriage, but, and so we're seeing something similar now with the transgenderism issue. Well, if adults want to do what they want to do, they're adults, but leave children alone because they're too young or too whatever or not enough of whatever. You want to sound the alarm about that dynamic. Why is that? Well, because I think it's a, a slippery slope towards the end of our culture and because it's a lie and because it's harmful to those that it pretends to help. So all of those things. Uh, when it comes to transgenderism, when you simply affirm even in speech what somebody claims when what they claim is false, you do them an injustice. So if someone claims to be uh, a man and is actually a woman and you acknowledge them as a man, you do them an injustice because you lie to them, you engage in a lie, and you deny them. That is, you deny their inherent worth and dignity as they were made. But further than that, what we're seeing now is, is, is more, and what we're seeing is, is mutilation of these people that's harmful, that's permanent, right? We're seeing them have their genitals cut off. We're seeing them take hormones that will cause lasting changes to their body that sterilize them. And, and suddenly, for some reason, the entire conversation has been abandoned about the fact that that is an intrinsic evil. And instead, we're, we're only and rather exclusively talking about the harm to children. And don't get me wrong. Obviously, the, the harm to children is a priority. It is something that we should be talking about. But what I take issue with is right when we, when we come up and we say, well, you know, they're too young to make that decision. As if, if they were 40, it would be reasonable for them to cut off their genitalia. Because it's not. It, it's harmful. And it's evil for somebody of sound mind to facilitate that taking place. It's bad for our society to encourage that to take place. I mean, you're talking about a society that can't possibly hold itself up because it's rooted in, well, frankly, a type of evil. It's rooted in a moral vacuousness and an unwillingness to simply say, this is wrong. You have value in the way that you are made. And this is a mental illness that ought to be treated instead of a physical problem that needs to be you know, cut off or mutilated. Uh, friends, my guest today is Sarah Kane, better known as the Crusader Gal. We're talking about whether or not moral blindness is, is contagious. Sarah, I was traveling recently, and, and I was in a restaurant, and there's something very interesting by the, the Mater Dei station. We're waiting to be seated. There was a very large fishbowl, and there were pins that you could borrow to put on, on your shirt that would identify what pronouns you wanted to be addressed by. And I, I looked at my companions and they said, well, consider the city that you're in. That's just what they do here. He said, we don't even notice anymore. 
I, I don't know that that uh, admission is, is, a, is a recognition of, of progress, but, but it seems to me that if you want to, you know, have your pins on or off your pronouns, that's one thing. I was also at a store where their pronouns were tattooed on, on, on their knuckles that you could read when that person made a fist. I think that was mm -hmm. rather suggestive. But, you know, a pin on and off your blouse, even a tattoo on and off your hands is different from hormones that irrevocably, uh, you know, change your, your body. And then also having mutilation. There was, oh God, was the story was, was in Canada is asking for assisted suicide because suicide is preferable to living with the physical and emotional pains of having a gaping wound where his genitalia uh, used to be. I, it seems to me that the, the unraveling is taking place uh, quicker than even I expected just a couple of years ago. What does it suggest about us that we can't even begin to defend that no one should mutilate themselves? Well, because I think we've lost the nature of man and of his of his creator, right? Of the fact that man was created. And because of that, we see man as really not in any way distinct from animal or from other object. And because we don't see him as having that tremendous value, um, we're, we're prepared to do just about anything. We're prepared even, and by we, of course, I mean the, the greater society, the collective, and not, not you, but mm -hmm. um, there is a, a willingness to even kill them. Right? And so you see that going on in Canada and, and a lot of states uh, now talking about it. But it's a willingness to say, you know, if you even struggle with anorexia, I just recently reported on a case up in Canada where a woman was struggling with anorexia and one of our news services, Reuters, was covering this topic in a way that, in that encouraged it, that said, well, she's, she's suffering with these conditions uh, as secondary conditions from her anorexia, the fact she's tired all the time because she's malnourished and so on. And therefore, maybe this is a good thing. And that's, it's a very similar but also atrocious evil because you're taking somebody in the midst of a despair where they can't see clearly and saying, okay, well, we don't see any value in you either. And that's also the evil of transgenderism because both of them fail to see the innate um, goodness and potential of man. They fail to see him as a being created and of unique value, therefore. And I think that if, as you look around our society, you see that manifest in so many ways. And because we have lost this um, Christian grounding of our society, nothing else can really stand. We're unable to make moral conclusions at all. See, because of our lack of Christian foundation, we fall into a type of relativism. Well, who says what is good? Well, who says what is moral? Well, who says what I can do with my body? And, and that, that's where we're at. We're at a place where, where everyone just kind of throws up their hands in the air because it, it feels uncomfortable in a world of relativism to say, well, there actually is an absolute good and an absolute wrong. And you can, you, you're supposed to use your reason. You have an intellect. And to sort of promote man in this regard, instead, he is diminished and made worthless amongst the, the tide of the supposed morality of relativism, which destroys uh, the individual and the collective, as we see in our modern society, as individuals, you know, get mutilated and the collective engages in this in this grand act of evil through the encouragement thereof through every method of media and entertainment throughout through methods of news all of it just seeks to sort of encourage all these different grand acts of evil you know i i think what, what you're identifying is um a root feature of really of relativism is is emotivism that we can't argue based on principles we don't we don't want a culture where we have to conform to truth and nature and revelation. So we just kind of emote to each other. I think back to my student days studying theology in London, and at a seminar I was um, reviewing an, an interview with Walker Percy, and he and Walker Percy was asked in his old age, why are you still a Catholic? And his answer was, well, what else is there? Well, afterwards, I was admonished by sister who said, you know, Hans, you know, uh, is, is Lutheran. How do you think he felt? And I said, I don't know. If he's concerned about knowing what the truth is, I imagine he would feel just fine. Sister right. made it clear that was not the answer that, that she was, was looking for. We got a minute and a half left in this segment. Are we, is what we're seeing here just more bitter fruit from relativism and emotivism? 
I think that that's at least part of it. I think that we're in a certain nihilistic culture at the same time. So there are multiple factors being ground together. But what we're really seeing is a vacancy of Christian theology as the underpinning of the West. And as a consequence of that, as a consequence of the fact that we have lost a sense of history, a sense of connectedness with our Christian forebears, those who actually created the civilization upon which we now live and should be grateful, uh, with that, with that loss, with that lack of connectivity between the past, we are end up ending up in a really dark situation moving forward because we don't know what forward looks like because we can't see what came behind us. What by analogy, you know, we are told now that what uh, you know, Holy Mother Church, you know, Mater and Magister, you know, Mother and Teacher needs to be doing is listening, especially to people who are not in a state of grace, people who have been badly catechized and people who have not been catechized at all. And we have to listen for the Spirit. I noticed that they don't say the Holy Spirit. I said, well, you know, Satan's a spirit too. Can you be more specific? And if we're going to talk about listening for the Holy Spirit, why not listen to what the Holy Spirit has already said? So I, I think that what we're seeing here is is the, I'm going to mix metaphors, you know, the galloping bad fruit of relativism and, and, and emotivism, and that's toxic for us all. Friends, we come back and continue our conversation with Sarah Kay and the Crusader Gal. We're talking about, is moral blindness contagious? Remember, a rallying cry here at the Catholic Current is Christus Mundum, Mundus Christo, bringing Christ to the world and the world to Christ. We do it because our Lord says so, for the greater glory of God, the love of our neighbor, and the salvation of our own soul. After the broadcast today, go to the stationofthecross.com, get our resources list, download our audio as podcast. Just a reminder, this Friday, let's talk about this. It's going to be, by popular demand, Father's Mailbag. We'll be answering your questions on the air. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your questions now at thestationofthecross.com slash askfather. Back in two minutes. Stay with us. This is Jesuit Father Robert McTague, your daily host of The Catholic Current. Join me on Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern to meet Dr. Rebecca O.S. of CFAM. I'm going to ask her, who's exporting abortion? The answer will not surprise you. Hear it all in The Catholic Current on Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, coming to you from the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio mobile app. You're listening to The Catholic Current with Father Robert Mateig from the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. Stay connected with the show, our guests, and topics by following the show on Twitter and Gab. Just search for The Catholic Current. Praise be Jesus Christ. This is Father Robert McTagg of the Society of Jesus, your daily host for the Catholic Current, where we bring Christ to the world and the world to Christ. You're listening to us in the Station of the Cross Studios, your local radio station, and the iCatholic Radio mobile app, where we proclaim the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. My returning guest is a listener favorite, Sarah Kane, our author, political, and cultural commentator. We're going to be linking to all of her good work. We're talking about whether or not moral blindness is contagious. Uh, Sarah... I've been told uh, many times in a wide variety of tones of voice, as you can imagine, about getting along and, and making people feel welcome. And can't we just, you know, build bridges? You know, God just wants us to be happy and to feel good about ourselves and, and about each other and just I live and let live. I think we need to burn a few. You know, we could burn a few bridges between uh, ourselves and those who engage in, in different sin and encourage it. And those oh, who oh you're speaking about children. burning bridges, I see. All right. Well, that, Correct. For that, that specification, <laughs> I thought maybe it was something else. Uh, I, I, I haven't seen your icon of Savonarola just yet. That having been said, we, we need to talk about the idea of, of libertarianism, to use a technical term. And basically it goes like this, that my interest in what you do it just stops at where you can reach me. So if you want to swing your fist around, fine. Just don't let it reach my nose. And we can build a society where you do you and then you just leave me alone. There's all sorts of reasons I don't think that works. What about you? No, I, I don't think it works. I don't think it ever has worked. And yet I only think – I think it seems like only those who are on the – 
political right, however you define that, you know, fairly roughly, even aim for it, right? So those who are on the the left in today's world very much are aiming for a an immoral government. And I know that, you know, you don't want to put things in political terms, but it kind of lands that way at this point in time. So that's why you see in leftist states and in, in even federal government, uh, the desire to put, say, LGBT flags on government mm-hmm. buildings. It's mm-hmm. not morally neutral. They're not aiming mm-hmm. for morally neutral. They have embraced something quite different. They're aiming for government grants that pay for these transgender surgeries for for children and, and for adults and for Medicare access to that kind of thing. All of that, right? This is not an a morally neutral venture. Then on the other side, um, on the supposed right, on the supposed conservative side, as many define themselves, uh, you'll find not really a full pushback because they're not really aiming for a moral government. They're they're aiming for something in between that they think is easier to reach. An amoral government, you might say, one where the, the government doesn't really do anything on moral issues, doesn't really say anything. It just kind of exists for, for wartime or something like that. And, and I don't think it ever has worked or could because man is inherently a moral creature and therefore so will be his governments. And, and that's really where we end up. And so if you did have if you, if you could somehow produce the amoral government that is sought, it would very quickly get pulled in one direction or another, as we have now, because we now have you know the flags <laughs> uh, on right. these buildings, um, because it has no grounding in and of itself. And I also think that it's, it stands to reason that because man is an inherently religious creature, you will have an inherently religious to some degree, to the degree that morality is, of course, religious, government and so that's why you also have this desire to because the lgbt um orthodoxy if you like is part of that leftist mantra it all kind of goes together but they they push it with a religious fervor you know and it goes together with their promotion of what i would call their their blasphemy laws so when they talk about how they want to ban certain hate speech, well, what are they talking about? They're talking about they want to ban speech that's critical of the thing that they hold with religious fervor, right? So while they act like they're rather indignant at any time anything religious, and especially Christian or Catholic, comes up, uh, they actually push for these things very strongly. But I think that it's, it's a lot easier to promote some kind of libertarianism. It's the... Uh, I used to quote many years ago. I, w- I would often mention this, and I think it, st- it still works. So you're you're there, and you're getting your hair cut, and you have to tell the hairdresser what you do for a living. And you work with me for a second, and you pretend that you're a political commentator. And so you say, "Okay, I'm, I'm a political commentator." And they say, "Well, are you conservative, or are you uh, liberal or Democrat? What's the safe a- option?" Well, the safe option is to say, "I'm libertarian." Why? Because nobody gets upset because the entire <laughs> The entire ethos is you do whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to touch it. You you do you, right? This, this modern adage. And so nobody's going to get that offended by that. And so I think there's, there's really a this really strong modern allure for that. But it's cowardice. It's the cowardice to, to refuse to say, you know, there are absolute wrongs and absolute rights. And, so, and if, we, if we embrace what is truly good and beautiful, we can make a culture that is worth living in. And that is what the people of antiquity did. And they valued those things and they valued beauty and they were willing to say, you know, what, what was good and what wasn't. And now, you know, we've got people who pretend like a glass, you know, skyscraper in New York City is, is, is as gorgeous as the Gothic cathedrals um, of antiquity. And it's, it's absurd. And we should be willing to say that it's absurd. But instead, because we're so relativistic, and this goes really tightly with libertarianism, because it's a refusal to say what is good for somebody else, right? That, that, that's, the, that, that's the distinction. It's really, I think, to some degree that, that libertarianism fully embraced is a type of relativism on an individual level. It, it's to say, I don't really care what you do. I only care about my own morals, which you can have your own morals entirely. So so the two really do intersect closely, but it all comes down to a, do you have the courage to tell people the truth? Because I think we we know what the truths are, you know, Um, as a Catholic, I'm very, you know, uh, aware of what the truths are. It's not always comfortable to say them. A lot of circumstances where it's not, 
and yet we owe it to our fellow man to do so, and it's our duty to do so. Friends, my guest today is Sarah Kane, better known as the Crusader Gal. We're talking about whether or not moral blindness is is contagious. Sarah, I don't know why it is, but when when I talk to you, I tend to to think back to my student days in in, in London. It must be a coincidence. But I, I was in a <laughs> seminar in, in moral theology, and there was an, another American in the class, and we were we were clashing very significantly and she was trying to take a more or less libertarian approach to the sixth commandment and i said doesn't it bother you that in my moral theory there's a significant difference between you and a pedophile and your moral theory there is none she exploded and then the professor said well you know these are really difficult questions and who's to say what's right and what's wrong and i jumped up and i said i'm to say because I'm a rational being and a recipient of grace, and someday I'm going to have to walk into a classroom, a pulpit, a confessional, and I want to be able to offer something other than a shrug. Um, we didn't say you do you back then. That, that grace <laughs> came much later uh, in our You're culture. <laughs> but, but, it, but it seems to me that um, we not only have – it's not only a lack of, of courage to defend the truth. And by the way, truth is not an abstraction. The truth mm -hmm. is the eternal word of the Father. It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Truth is a person. But it's also a lack of compassion, compassio. To be able to say, look, you are sick and you need help, and I'm willing to help you to have not only hard conversations, but also help you do hard things. And we can make moral progress together. It seems to me that we're, we're just... It seems to me that the libertarians are, are advocating for kind of a slow-motion surrender, that we really have nothing to say. You know, we just want to make, as Winston Churchill would say, we just want to make the deal with the crocodile to eat us last. It, is that too jaundiced a view, or am I not where you are just yet? No, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that when you when you look at a person and you refuse to tell them the truth that they need to hear, the truth being Christ, uh, that you do them a disservice. And we're talking about, really, some of the most vulnerable of people, right? Because you're talking about people who are in such a state of despair that they no longer can, can see their own value, who can no longer discern what truth is, who can no longer see which way is up, effectively. And so if you can, <laughs> um, therein lies your, your duty. And what, what really bothers me is the degree to which people claim a sort of moral high ground in dismissing the, the harm that's being done. Right. You know, because you, 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 I think now we're, we're far enough into this that you can watch videos of people who had the surgeries and did mutilate themselves and they come around five, six years later and they, they regret it, and they're horrified by the position that they find themselves in. And so we ought to be able to just sympathize with the, the incredible wrong there that took place, you know, that, that a person could enter this situation of despair, be left alone in the sense that people aren't willing to tell them the truth, have people profit from their despair by engaging in acts of not medicine, because this isn't healing and to engage in medicine is to attempt to heal. And this is not healing. This has never been the goal because the right. body was not broken, right? right. Um, so it's to actually mutilate them and to take a profit at their expense. And then afterwards, later, when they're you know in this state, to completely abandon them and say, well, it's what you wanted. You know, I, I think back to the to the bishops in, in March who had a reaffirmation of the church's traditional teaching on transgenderism. And then our, our friend um, Michael Hitchborn of the Ponto Institute had a horrifying expose in June about Catholic hospitals performing transgender surgery. And so there's going to be a policy discussion in November, the, the meeting of bishops. And a number of prominent clergy said, oh, my goodness, we have to have listening sessions from members of the transgender community. I want to be clear, there is no story that anyone can say that ends with, and that's why it's okay for me to mutilate myself. And I am in distress that we don't have the, the moral wherewithal to have that statement to say, nothing you can tell me lends credence to your desire to mutilate yourself. We've we got a minute left in this segment. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the, the idea is 
really, that we should put a microphone in front of somebody who is going through this pain and therefore we would what? We would deny them too? That we would we would cut we would cut at them, that we would how about we would kill them in the case of this euthanasia that's being encouraged. It's it's absurd. And I think we have done enough, both as a society and frankly within the church, of putting microphones in front of the uninformed um, or those who can't see straight, or those who can't identify truth. And we instead ought to be speaking the truth to those people and, you know, and giving them time to heal. And healing does not involve chopping up that which works. Right. We have to have a reverence for the human bodies and, and begin to learn to love what God made. And that includes nature and it also includes the gift of revelation. Friends, we come back and continue our conversation with Sarah Kane, the Crusader Gal. We're talking about whether or not moral blindness is contagious. We're going to have some really interesting resources uh, in, the, in the show notes today. After the broadcast today, go to the station of the cross.com, get our resources list, download our audio as podcast. Wherever you can find audio, you can find us. Follow us on your favorite platform write a five-star review we need to attract the attention of the listeners that these conversations get the attention they deserve here's a heads up this friday for let's talk about this by popular demand we're going to have father's mailbag i'll be answering your questions on the air it's not too late send us your questions now at the station of the slash ask father back in just two minutes stay with us This is the Catholic Current from the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. Catch up on an episode you've missed or share them with your family or friends. The Catholic Current is podcasted wherever you enjoy listening. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Praise be Jesus Christ. This is Father Robert McTagg of the Society of Jesus, your daily host for the Catholic Current, where we bring Christ to the world and the world to Christ. You're listening to us from the Station of the Cross Studios, your local radio station, and the iCatholic Radio mobile app, where we proclaim the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. My returning guest today is a listener favorite, Sarah Kane, better known as the Crusader Gal, uh, an author and political and cultural commentator. We'll be uh, linking to her her good work uh, in print and, and in video. We're talking about whether moral blindness is contagious. Uh, Sarah, we have to ask the question, you know, if conservatives aren't conserving, what are they doing? If traditionalists are not engaged in active tradition of handing on, what are we doing? We've, you know, I'm sure we've, you've seen this comment too, that conservatives are just liberal in, in slow motion. I think what we're seeing here among the so-called defenders of the culture is uh, McTagg's corollary at work. It states most people haven't matured since the age of 15 and are desperate to be invited to sit at the cool kids table at the high school cafeteria. I mean, think of all the, think of all the programs that you would be banned from had you ever been invited to them, given what, what you've said <laughs> now. There are a lot of people who, who really want to be liked, who want to be listened to appreciatively on The View and The Colbert Show and Fox News. And so we make these rather anodyne statements. And meanwhile, the barbarians are, are, are breaching the wall. Are we witnessing, rather than real cultural warriors, just cultural grifters? Is, is that too dark for you to accept? Not at all. And as far as what conservatism is doing, if it's not actually conserving, is it's getting in the way, um, effectively. It, it's serving as an impediment because by identifying themselves, <laughs> a phrase that really goes in with the theme of this show, but uh, by right. identifying themselves falsely as conservatives and not con actually conserving, they, they set about a sort of false reference for others to follow. And so it's very difficult for anyone of the modern age, for, especially for young people, to really understand what it means to be conservative, what it means to conserve. And that really ties in with the fact that we have such a very poor understanding of history today, and that's very intentional. But it's, it's such that I think that they don't really give pause to say, so, so what is it that we're conserving? Because it's not supposed to be, well, we're conserving our current stance at this very moment because this is our line in the sand and we're not For going back any, <laughs> any further. And that seems to be the, what the, the current consensus is. Well, you know, this line and no further. 
and then it you know it shifts and, and no further and, and that kind of thing but you know and it kind of goes with it reminds me of is where you have the the so-called gay conservatives um and it's like if you identify your whole being by the fact that you presumably have homosexual ideations then you're not conserving anything right you're not even up you're not even holding up the dignity of your own person to not be defined by the fact that you have these uh, unnatural attractions so that's kind of like one one manifestation of it you might say when it comes to modern so-called conservatism or republicanism it, it, which might be more uh, proper you have a problem of just the desire to make money instead of actually engaging in any sort of culture war there are the vast majority of allegedly conservative pundits of the modern age are not actually conserving and are not really even talking about the culture war at all except perhaps at minimum about trans kids that's it they've already seated on trans adults they've already seated on gay marriage they've already conceded on the fact that homosexual behavior is sinful and bad for society they have uh, seated on uh, pornography they have seated on contraception they have conceded on sex outside of marriage all of these major issues that are about our culture they have seated upon and it's really just about well the free market how free do we want it we we, we oppose tariffs <laughs> um <laughs> you know and yeah. and that's it's it's rather outlandish when you really you know, perhaps even write it down and look through and say, well, okay, well, what values do they have? Well, it's, right, today it's trans kids, um, and, and that's it. And there's something really uh, perverse about it, but I think it really goes back to the fact that they don't have enough of an understanding of history. Um, it was it was Dostoevsky who said, you can be sincere and still be stupid. And yes. I think that I would take that and say, well, you can be sincere and still be ignorant. And right. And I hate to, to put it in such an aggressive term, but I think we kind of need to in order to identify the problem because so many don't look back in history enough to understand what we've lost. They don't understand. Like So, so many um, modern conservatives now will talk about how much, how, how the freedom that we have in, in America and how and freedom, freedom is great and we have the freedom to do anything that you want. And it's, it's just let it all go as long as my fist doesn't hit somebody else i can do what i want and they think that this is an american like founding ideal it's like an american founding ideal you realize that you know sodomy back then was punished with the death penalty we didn't allow for obscenity back then um oh, we had well, yeah. you know yeah, the founders had had more interesting things than just that some of them owned slaves. They had they had some other very very significant moral clarity, and, and I think that that's where we are now. Is that it seems to me that the only people who have real moral clarity and a sense of mission are the people on, on the left. I mean, it was Gramsci back in the twenties and thirties who called for the long march through the institutions. A hundred years later, here we are, the cultural institutions, you know, what we'd call media now, uh, academia, the churches for the most part, see also the new sparkle creed, God save us all. Um, the, and you said in the last segment, there, there's there's a sense of religion, there's a sense of, of cult. You know, there there's there uh, there 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 are victims, there there are villains, there are graces, uh, there are forbidden words, there are sacred words, and a sense of urgency. So, to even if you really believed that it was morally sufficient to say just leave us alone and the boat won't sink which is a fantasy. The fact is is that you've got ignorant zealots who are sure they are right, that they have the moral high ground, and that they're compassionate. And the idea right. of we just want to be left alone is 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 a fantasy. But but deeper than that, it seems to me that we've got people who call themselves conservative icons because they've they've attracted audiences that are afraid of the conflict, whether the conflict is is, is the the torches and, and rock throwers outside their window, or the conflict at their dinner table uh, during Thanksgiving visits, and the libertarians seem to be a gentle way out of conflict. 
but it was Leo the Thirteenth who said that Catholics are are born for conflict. Friends, my guest today is Sarah Kane, better known as the Crusader Gal. We're talking about whether moral blindness is contagious. What do we need to begin to say? No, we are in a cultural battle. It's time to start pushing back. What do we need to do that? Um, I think we need to start forming Catholic communities. I think we need to start reading. I think we need to start collecting old books and sharing them. I think we need to start getting together with those Catholic um, members of our community and talking through these things and reminding each other and learning together. I think that's the only way forward. I think that as long as we're immersed in the, frankly, ignorance that is so prevalent today, we won't be able to claw our way out of it because we won't know where we've been and the mistakes that have been made in the past in order to identify our own uh, misgivings and our own holes. And in order to see, frankly, just the beauty and the glory that is possible and that we had um, throughout certain parts of Christendom. Not that there was ever a utopia, but we can do a lot better than we are now. Well, you know, you're not going to get invited to be a voting member of a synod with that attitude, young lady. Uh, <laughs> without a doubt. <laughs> without a doubt. Yeah. Well, you know, well, my invitation got lost in the mail, too, clearly. No, it, it seems to me that uh, we have to come back to the idea that we have received something that's worth fighting for, that's worth preserving. But even more, we're all going to die without it. Uh, you know, Thomas Hobbes said life in the state of nature would be solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. If we want to see what that looks like, you know, go to Chicago on a weekend <laughs> and see what life without the rule of law looks like. When we see what's taking place in Chicago or San Francisco or Baltimore, you know, we can't say, hey, the schools, the family, the churches, so much winning. Not at all. I think that if we don't conserve and hand on and promote and fight for the foundations of civilization, and ultimately the foundation of civilization is is the Logos. It's reason. It's the Christ of God. Absent that, it's only a matter of time before we're in some form of at least cultural, if not kinetic, Mad Max. Uh, Your thoughts on that, please. Without a doubt, I think that we're we're sitting at a at a point in time where people need to start fighting back, and that begins by speaking up. And it's hard because there are so few leaders. Because as we already identified and discussed, uh, when you look at the so-called conservative pundits and commentators, uh, you'll find um, people who seem to be engaging in acts of either cowardice or ignorance. And so people who are trying to live their regular lives or they're trying to engage in in classrooms or in the workplace or wherever they they happen to be uh, have more difficulty in articulating these things because they don't have uh, have leaders who have who have passed these things on and so that's why we're in this this situation there are no leaders and those who are um, not even supposed to be in a position of leading haven't been taught properly these ideas and and thought them through and certainly haven't engaged in the sort of debate that they should have. But it's incumbent upon us to to get ourselves in that position where we can and when we do, uh, and so that we do, we have to start speaking these truths, else we're going to lose what, what little culture we have left. Well, you know, I, I think t- uh, to uh, the bishop in, in Portugal who's going to be made a cardinal in September talking about the World Youth Day. And yes, there's going to be young people from all over the world. And uh, they're of a variety of faiths and no faith at all. And isn't it wonderful that there's going to be encounter and there's going to be listening and there's going to be welcoming and there's going to be accompaniment. But we're not going to try to convert them to Christ. No, sir. Not on my watch. We're not doing that because – well, because why? What What do you think is going on when you know a, a bishop – who's about to be made a cardinal, says, we're not teaching young people to win over their peers to Christ. What's going on here? Um, I, I, I struggle for words uh, to, to know how to respond to that. I think that he is uh, derelicting his duty at a, at a bare minimum. I think that we have so many, including clerics, sadly, who do not act as if they believe in the faith themselves. Um, and we have to remember, you know, ours is a faith that people died for. You right. know, that's, that's why I, 
call myself the crusader gal so much. I'm trying to remind people of that time where so many were willing to sacrifice so much, including all that they had for the faith. And it's that faith that we received. It's that that we were that, that built Christendom and it's those reigns that were handed to us. And that's it's a really actually beautiful thing. And yet so few realize what that that incredible debt that we owe to those to those people of the past who who built something that was that gave us a sense of really great stability in terms of like we don't have to worry about how we are going to survive with basic needs in our society at this point in time i mean that's actually fairly unique when you look all the way back through human history you know we actually have a, a a point where we should feel fairly calm and relaxed in, in such ways. And yet, I think maybe even because of that, we're in a situation where we're so kind of divorced from suffering and we're divorced from being able to, to look at these these greater issues because it's, it's easy to ignore now. Right. I, I think those aspects of, of the unreal are, are, are going to be fading away sooner rather than later. Friends, we come back and continue our conversation with Sarah Kane, the Crusader Gal. We're talking about whether or not moral blindness is contagious. Be part of the conversation. Follow what we're following by following us on Gab. That's G-A-B dot com. The channel is The Catholic Current. You can influence the conversation by contacting us at the station of the cross dot com slash ask father. Just a reminder, this Friday for Let's Talk About This, by popular demand, we're going to have Father's Mailbag. I'll be answering your questions on the air. Send some questions today. Back in two minutes. Stay with us. The only thing new about the heresies in the church and the schisms in the church today is it's mixed with satanic worship. We in the church have gone from enneagrams to centering prayer to solstice worship to goddesses. And you buy it as something new. It's as old as Satan himself. The Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network, proclaiming the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. After today's broadcast, go to the Catholic Current Show page on thestationofthecross.com for info on today's guests, the show resource links, and to sign up for our weekly email of upcoming shows. Praise be Jesus Christ. This is Father Robert McTague of the Society of Jesus, your daily host for the Catholic Current, where we bring Christ to the world and the world to Christ. You're listening to us from the Station of the Cross Studios, your local radio station, and the iCatholic Radio mobile app, where we proclaim the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. My returning guest today is a listener favorite, Sarah Kane, better known as the Crusader Gal. Uh, author, political, and cultural commentator, and we'll be linking to her good written and video work. We're talking about whether moral blindness is contagious. Sarah, in the last segment, you had mentioned about the necessity of forming Christian communities. You talked about gathering old books, etc. And someone might say, well, what do you mean, Sarah? What do you mean, Father, Christian communities? We've got all those parishes, so what else should we be doing? Yes, so many parishes that identify as Catholic. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And what and, could be more real than that? Right, exactly. I mean, we, we have so many parishes that are also closing down because they don't have people who are showing up. Um, unlike those that seem to be leaning in a more traditional direction and they, they have more people and also they're generating more vocations. So this, there are things to be learned from that. I, I do think that after the, the COVID years, so many, I think, s- real communities basically got destroyed in part by the parishes that hosted them. And that's an absolute travesty. That should have never happened. Um, and, and some of that has to come back. And it, it takes effort to build these things. And that there isn't being enough of a focus, I don't think, put on that. I think so many parishes are so focused on being welcoming uh, to all that they they fail to do a service to those who are faithful. So you have people who who want a reverent liturgy, and then you have people who want to get out of there as fast as possible. And I think we have a problem in which so many priests and pastors uh, are placing their priority on simply 
being open to all, being, uh, I guess, placating all, and you can't, and you shouldn't want to, right? Right. I think you should, I mean, it kind of ties back into what we were saying earlier about speaking the truth to all, right? So if there are people who are running to get out of there on a Sunday, well, uh, I think that's not, your, your duty to them is to speak the truth to them, right? And then to be, and to be honest with them about the fact that they shouldn't be doing that, for example, and about the fact that what they're doing doesn't, isn't in accordance with what they state their faith to be and all of this. But, and, and when you, when you try to appeal what I'm going to call the lowest common denominator, which is those people in this particular instance, uh, you fail to provide the spiritual nourishing of those who really do care and who want to throw their lives into their faith as they should be doing, right? I think we, we need to focus on those people who want to embrace the faithful, those who are living their faith, not just on a Sunday morning. And those people need an opportunity to combine with each other, to learn from each other. I don't think this could really be overstated. And, you know, we are so separated from from our history that mm-hmm. I think there's, there's so much that kind of becomes harder here that we should have more to sort of lean on than we do. And that's why I, I mentioned in the last segment about old books and reading them together and discussing them together and learning together and preferably teaching. I mean, actually going out and teaching others. And that just involves a conversation. I don't necessarily mean that everybody has to find a classroom, but rather that when you... When you try and teach something to somebody, you realize how little you know, yeah. right? And uh, and there's, there's a strength in that because if you if you're talking about your faith and if you're talking about history, because because you can actually you can really help people to understand what kind of culture we should be aiming for by talking about what kind of culture we had without just you know giving them Bible quotes every couple of seconds. That's not what I'm talking about, right? 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 Uh, right? We're actually talking about rebuilding an entire culture and there was there was a, a massive separation that that took place where our universities basically fell apart and stopped doing their duty and I think it was uh, Christopher Dawson writing in the 1930s was talking about the the lack of congruency that we've had basically the the destruction that you had that separated his generation from just a couple of generations prior where right. you would have had, you know, the the schoolboy of the the 18th century who was learning the same things as the Roman schoolboy because we had this continuity of history that was passed down. And that's kind of a fascinating concept. And then it was severed. And so he ended up, well, we ended up in the 1930s there getting ready for, for a Second World War. Uh, <laughs> but right. right now, you know, we're kind of living the expansion of that. We're, we're, and it's sort of like spiritual vacuousness because because we know so little. And I think you can only really solve that in groups. You can certainly only build a culture in groups. You can only form a community that will serve as a necessary counterweight, if you like, to the coming fall of the rest of the culture. Because the rest of the culture can't sustain when it can't define what a man is. The rest of the culture can't sustain when it wants to just allow people to die because they're despairing, for example, or or wants to to mutilate uh, either their children or their adults. That's not a culture that can sustain. It's a culture that implodes. And so as as a necessary counter to that, you have to to build to build a, a culture and a community in which you would want to live and which you would want to raise your children, in which you can say and will say these truths and, and share them. You know, I, I want to amplify what you said. A culture that can countenance the mutilation of its children, uh, a culture that can countenance uh, pedophilia and grooming, and we have to call it that. Uh, such a culture, not only can it not survive, it doesn't deserve to survive. And one of the things that concerns me about life at St. Typical's is we're preparing no one for anything. We, we're not preparing them for struggle. We're not preparing them for spiritual warfare. We're certainly not preparing them 
for heaven. It just seems to be th- th- this is a thing that we do so that we can take up a collection so that we can do this again next week. And it really doesn't matter if adults are wearing their Nintendo 64 t-shirt to Sunday Mass to pick an oddly specific example. As long as we have the collection and it doesn't take very long. I don't think that's the basis of cultural survival or flourishing. Uh, we got about a minute and a half left in this segment. How would you like to wrap up the conversation? I would, I would agree with you. I think that we need more than that. I don't think that it's entirely despairing in that I think that people often underestimate the impact that they can have on their own world, if you like, by engaging with people from their own parishes, by, by doing what I'm, what I'm advising here. Because you can make big changes if you work on a smaller scale. Attempting to work at the, the national and some of the world, uh, you're going to have a lot less influence. I think you should really focus focus on, on building you know, your families and building your community and bringing back what was lost and then sharing that with, with, with others. I think this is, this is the way to, to survive what's coming, the way to be prepared for what's coming. And I think it's also what is our duty well, I, I think we have to have, again, that, that moral clarity. God is going to ask us what we did with our time, with our resources, and above all, what we did with the revelation of his Christ. Sarah Kane, the Crusader Gal, thank you for another stimulating conversation. God bless your good work, and I do look forward to next time. As do I. Thank you so much, Father. I'm Jesuit Father Robert McTague, your host here every day of the Catholic Current. Be sure to join us tomorrow, Timely Tuesday. We're going to have two guests. We're going to meet up with Dr. Rebecca Oaz. She's Director of Research for the Center for Family and Human Rights. We're going to be talking about who is exporting abortion and a very special guest, my colleague here at the Station of the Cross, Jim Havens. We're going to be talking about a personhood amendment as a, a new tool for winning the culture war regarding uh, defending the life of the unborn. After the broadcast today, go to thestationofthecross.com, get our research resources list, download our audio as podcast. Everything you need to take this conversation to your family and friends, we give to you. Together, let's take it around the world. Through the intercession of St. Ignatius Loyola, may God our Lord surround you with a legion of guardian angels with flaming swords to light your path, to protect you from all harm and every evil, to reach the happiness of heaven. May mighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go in peace, and please do pray for me. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Station of the Cross.com, a listener funded nonprofit organization. Please prayerfully consider donating at the Station of the Cross.com by calling 1 877 888 6279 or through our free iCatholic Radio mobile app. It is a scientific fact that life begins at fertilization. Every human being is a human person. It already says in the 14th Amendment of our U.S. Constitution that all persons are to have equal protection under the laws. Yet we have an ongoing mass murder of our little pre-born brothers and sisters under the big lie of abortion. The Supreme Court must explicitly affirm federal protection for our last excluded class and end this constitutional crisis. Use your voice and sign the petition now at thestationofthecross.com.